Hey, Adam. Adam? Oh. Coming to you almost live from the sunken city of Atlantis, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott, and Adam's not here for the first time ever for the main interview. Uh, he's not in the studio. Adam is on vacation, and uh, he has pre-recorded some stuff, so we will be hearing from him a little later in the show, but uh, otherwise it's just me, which is strange. Very strange. And uh, we're going to put on a show, one way or the other. I'm joined in the studio by Ben Jelena who is a writer for the Edmonton Journal. He is their video game blogger. And, uh, well, unsurprisingly, we're going to talk about video games. So, uh, Ben, welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. It's very lonely in here. It is. It's... uh, In this lost city of Atlantis. Very wet and uh, very lonely without Adam. His personality usually just fills the space. uh, (laughs) I apologize. I just can't do that. Uh, I guess we, we'll start right at the top. Um, why why do you write about video games? It's, uh, well, it's my side project, right? Um, my main role at the journal is as a crime writer, and it's what I do full-time uh, for money. Uh, not for money. I, I don't do it for money, but uh, I, I get it, get money for it. And then on the side, I, I write about games in part because it... Uh, I mean, it's kind of my interest, but at the same time, you know, crime writing can can weigh you down, and it's a it's a bit of a a lighter topic to focus some of my creative energy sometimes as well. So, but the main reason I write about video games for a mainstream publication is because I feel as though there's still a very strong stigma for games uh, that a lot of people see it as as uh, the territory of, of nerds and shut-ins. Um, and I, I feel like there's a pretty strong artistic movement in games and a push towards... I mean, I'm not talking a push like towards casual gaming and the Wii stuff, but a push towards real storytelling and games coming into their own as a medium uh, and a way to tell stories and that, it, that can maybe not be told any other way and bring people in as no other medium could, so... You mentioned that there's still the perception that there's there's a stigma associated with uh, being a gamer. Um, why do you think that that is still the case 20, 30 years after video games became, I would, I would say, became kind of something that was in the mainstream? Well, at first, there was a, a real push to market games for, you know, the casual family audience. Um, but I... And, you know, with, with Atari, when Atari, if Pong came into the homes and Atari came into the homes, and, I mean, the games were simple enough that most people, you know, regardless of age, could pick up and play play a game and, and get some minimal, brief enjoyment out of it. Um, but as games got more complex, um, they there were kind of two waves, right? I mean, first, everybody started seeing them as kids' stuff. And then when they matured in the 90s, they started seeing them as sort of adult kid stuff, you know, all gore, all 
all kind of immature like tna and, yeah yeah and, i mean gore porn really was mortal Kombat, right uh, yeah and all, all of the slightly the teenagers who had grown up with with mario um were like oh wow i can rip somebody's head off that is so cool and then everybody else kind of just rolled their eyes i think um and only now is that sort of generation that grew up with atari and and the original nintendo as as they get older um their tastes are really maturing and i i uh, game companies are realizing that and they're making they've been making games and continue to make games that have a lot of depth and, and purpose to them so so do you think that uh that that perception has started to shift maybe a little that um or or do you think that uh that it's something that's that's still kind of around like i get the i get the impression that a lot of video game companies and this isn't a meant to be a blanket opinion of everybody but a lot of video game companies still market their games for like the the overgrown man child crowd like mm-hmm. still put in a lot of gratuitous sex and violence and and that kind of stuff because the perception from from them from the game designers is that their video game players are still like 14 year old boys there is that um i get that i get that sense too you know you look at games like gears of war or god of war too right um those games are examples of what you're talking about right they're they're complex but they're also ridiculously violent and um i i think repetitive they're complex without necessarily being mature yes yes and um frankly they're not my cup of tea to use a cliche hopefully the only one i use in this interview that's i think part of the the great thing about where games have gone though uh, is there's a lot of variety so there are those games now for the overgrown man children um to salivate over um and i put halo in that category a lot of people won't um but i i've never been a halo fan um but there are games for all sorts of people now uh just like there are movies for all sorts of people just like there are books for all sorts of people but the nice thing about video games and this is unique i think to games because in terms of medium uh, mediums for entertainment in in every medium from books to movies to music to television the majority of the things that take off and are insanely popular are artistically flawed if artistic at all um and are are generally sort of dumbed down as opposed to the things that are really pushing pushing the medium forward which are by and large ignored often on tv often canceled like the arrested developments um in games the great products the things that really push things forward are the ones that are usually the most celebrated and and most popular so i like that movement This is Adam Rosenhart coming to you almost live from the Elm Cafe on 117th Street and 101st Avenue. I'm here with the owner, Nate Box. How you doing, Nate? Doing well. I just wanted to chat with you to do a bit of a follow-up on the interview uh, that we did last month. Because as of the listening of this podcast, you've been open for a single month. So how does that feel? feels great. Yeah, it's been really, really good. Um... Does it actually feel like a whole month has gone by? 
No, it feels like a few days has gone by that just kind of blend into really one really long day. So you you've obviously uh, you obviously work very long days. Like the the, the cafes typically open around eight ten hours a day. Uh, yeah, we're open ten hours a day Monday and Wen- Monday through Wednesday, and then we're open twelve hours Thursday, Friday, eight on Saturday, and closed on Sundays. Oh my gosh! So do the math. yeah. So does that mean that? Uh, I mean, obviously, that doesn't mean that you have just a ten hour day. Right. So what time do you start in the morning and when do you stop finally? Um, I'm usually here by 6, 6.30 if I really can't drag myself out of bed. Uh, prep for an hour and then kick the doors open. Then when we close up, Monday through Wednesday, I'm usually out of here by 6, 6.30. Do some grocery shopping, a bit of prep, go home, do some paperwork. I don't know. It's about 9, maybe 10 at night maybe 11 or 12 that's not bad i mean so so work is kind of life but that's okay because your your wife comes in and helps out and does things with you yeah it's been really great and what was the uh what was your reaction to the response you guys got when you opened it was great the first week was amazing with just friends and family and people in the community um and we saw that kind of the second week kind of tapered down um, as far as friends and family and really the, the neighborhood started to take notice and that was amazing and then week uh, three and this last fourth week have been um, have been really spectacular we see a lot of people in the neighborhood being like hey we read about you we've got everybody like we have regulars that come in on Saturday and and uh, drive here from St. Albert and that's madness yeah that's great we also have like families that come in with their kids and like the kids run around in the shale out front and the parents sit and like read a magazine or something and it's great wow so that's that's fantastic because i i recall you discussing something on twitter after i think the first day where you were like oh the only people who've come into the cafe are people from twitter (laughs) yeah it's been you know what that's been a great community um we are kind of going a bit against the grain in that we're not really doing any advertising right now and we're kind of relying on people like social media networks that we've created like people on Twitter and trying to keep connected to that community but also just seeing if it can be done a different way and that we can we can actually be be genuine and and respect that word of mouth will carry us so so definitively social media equals good strategy for advertising no, because you have. To, I think you have to be genuine. I really actually enjoy Twitter and I enjoy the community that it brings in the network. But part of it too is that we run ridiculous things like pay it forward and try and get people to put faces to names. So, yeah, you know what? Online we've got this great Twitter community in Edmonton, but uh, it doesn't mean much if it's just a Twitter community. I want to know that bingo fuel is coming in for coffee and who the hell is that (laughs) so it's been it's probably been really great for you to meet put faces to those names now you mentioned um you mentioned the pay it forward concept this is something that you've been doing through twitter would you mind explaining that (laughs) it's just some ridiculous thing that we came up with i don't even remember we were tired and probably over caffeinated and uh we were chatting about kevin spacey and pay it forward and how how all good conversations start, really. <laughs> and then we're like, you know what we need to do is uh, is we need to start something where on the Twitter community you can come in and, and say, hey, I want to pay it forward. My name's at Nathan Box. And you claim what somebody's left for you and you leave 
a, an amount so for, for somebody to come in afterwards and get the coffee. And so it's, you're still essentially paying for your coffee, but it's an opportunity to kind of build that network and say, hey, look, I think we're on cup number five. And so it's just an interesting thing where, where you can come in and you, we make up these ridiculous commemorative cups which it's tucked away um, but we decorate one and you leave some money and and that's it so that's fantastic it sounds great it sounds really interesting and in fact before I leave here tonight I will pay it for it as well but I did want to ask you also about um, you know the food and what the response has been to some of the stuff that you guys have in here that people can eat because few of the folks that I know have said very good things about your sandwiches and such yeah it's been really fun um, opening a sandwich shop and Often people come in and they're like, well, this, "Like you make the sandwiches and we don't really have an option. I'm like, no, I just want you to trust that we're going to make a good sandwich and, and that the ingredients that we pair together you might not be familiar with or you may not have had in, in that specific setting, but um, trust us. Trust us that we know what we're doing and that we, we're putting together decent sandwiches. The f- response has been amazing and it's opened the doors to work with some really great um, farmers again, that people that I've have had like really great relationships over the last few years. Um, it, those are starting to bring back, but it's also about educating. This is a passionate chef and some passionate employees that are able to face to face explain. You know what? This BLT that you're eating is going to be the best BLT that you'll probably ever have because those tomatoes were picked three days ago. The basil was grown in Mournville. The bacon is raised by it's a heritage pork that's raised by like proper English people dude you're making me really hungry right now Now, so it's just been really great the response and you know what we make maybe 30-40 sandwiches a day and that's good for now Um, we're working with 195 square feet so come on cut us some slack and uh, we, we consistently sell out of stuff which is great that's a good problem to have I would say yeah um, now you're also carrying muffins and chocolates and so where are those from you're working with suppliers around Edmonton yeah so um, in addition to working with like farmers and producers one of the things is to, that I need to be able to trust that um, that there's other people in, in Edmonton that have skill sets that I need to be able to promote as well and, and to capitalize on um, so we get chocolates from Kirsten's which is an amazing boutique chocolatier who's five blocks from us and when people when I tell people that they're like kind of shocked and they're like there's no way there's a chocolate shop across the street from Stantec yeah there is and it's phenomenal um, Duchess has been an absolute dream to work with they do our muffins exclusively for now I can say that I don't know if anybody else is going to try and get them now <laughs> but um, you know what it comes at a higher cost and and my profit margins aren't that great because I need to make it still affordable it's a 250 muffin like I can't charge six dollars for a muffin or five dollars for a muffin in order to make my my points up but uh, we charge 250 and and I lose a bit of like of the profit margins but you know what it's a quality of product I'm not serving you Costco muffins that are cut in half and you'll know that and you'll be able to respect the difference I hope and and to just work with Duchess they are in the same kind of league. They're trying to break a mold of, of mediocrity and, and, and um, really put forth quality in the best that they can. And I can say definitively, having been here a few times, and I'm sorry I haven't been here recently. <laughs> Life's been a little busy, but the muffins are spectacular. They are, they're so delicious. Now, so it's been a good month. 
Um, you, you had to delay your opening because you weren't quite satisfied that you'd be ready. And of course, there with a venture like this, there are all kinds of things that can crop up after you've opened. So what sort of curveballs have been thrown your way since you guys started? Um, that's a really good question. I'm trying to think of curveballs, but to be honest, like um, we kind of do the most, like the best that we can with what we've got here. I think the space limitation is the biggest concern in that we're really, really tight, but it's, it also teaches us to be efficient. And so when one person's working in one little section of the counter while the other person's cleaning up behind them and vice versa, um, I think a curveball has definitely been uh, trying to convince people, some of the, some of the neighborhood people too, of uh, the quality versus quantity argument. Um, it's, it's great because you can kind of help educate people, but you have to be careful in that you don't offend and you don't, um, I don't know, I don't want to get soapboxy on people. Mm -hmm. And so um, when people come in and say, oh, your sandwiches are $8? And it's like, well, yeah, because this is the best products that you can get. I'm not going to offer you a two ninety nine breakfast sandwich and coffee combo because I don't believe in it and it's cheap for a reason. Um, we try and keep our stuff affordable and changing, but that education part has been has been a difficult a difficult aspect to in times but we're, we're getting through yeah, it sounds like you're changing minds and uh, and uh, putting smiles on people's faces so <laughs> thanks for taking the time uh, to chat with me Nate and uh, well let's go pay it forward right now yeah okay good Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at guru digitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878 E3 if we want to talk about E3 for a bit sure uh, scared the hell out of me because of all the push from the, uh, from did you the other actually two. attend E3? Uh, no, okay. no, I, I was, I was not able to, um, I got the invite, but I actually decided not to <laughs> because I, I had a vacation coming up that time. I could have gone and I thought that I don't want to do that. I, I, I maintain this like defiant. I don't want to be a video game journalist. I wouldn't, you know, they, they send me review copies and I give them away after I've played them, you know, I buy my own games, um, because, and the, the same reason I didn't attend E3, even though I would have loved to, because I want to, I want to maintain this sort of, I'm a person who enjoys this medium and interacts with it in the same way as everybody else who enjoys it, as opposed to treats it as a business or makes money off of it. Like I don't get paid to blog. Um, I do it in my spare time. I do it for fun. Matt's the same way. We're just uh, university friends who want to share our love of this and, and write about it and interact with other people. So, um, But I read about E3, and at E3, a, a 
basically we had the reverse of what was in years past. In years past, you know, it was uh, Xbox and PlayStation coming out with interesting games, saying, "Look at what, look at this library we have coming up. It's awesome." Um, last year they also brought up Natal, but it was a small part for Xbox of of their their pitch to uh, consumers and journalists. Um, but Nintendo was all about you know the the novelties, you know the the motion controller. And last year they had this ridiculous like oh, I even forget the name of it, but basically it was like those little things you stick your finger into to read your pulse. No mention of it this year. This year Nintendo was all about interesting games, you know, uh, base you know mining the old the old guard. But for a nostalgic gamer, I mean that, that's win-win because I I don't I would love to play a new Donkey Kong Country, which is what they're coming out with, and the new system, the new technology that they did come out with the 3D gaming, I mean that's appealing to everybody. You know, it's not it's not simplifying the way that we play games. It's you know improving it. Um, but then PlayStation and Xbox both bring out their motion control. You know, connect no no controller um playstation their lollipop looking looking controller and with xbox's lineup especially all these really simplistic sort of novelty games showing off what the technology can do on a very limited plane and it was um really disappointing for me i you know i i i feel as though you know we we have this large market of people out there already that you know like to play video games so you should embrace the, those people who, instead of trying to reach out to everybody, because not everybody's going to want to play video games. Why waste so much money and time trying to bring everybody in instead of, you know, working with the audience that you already have? It seems like, because the, the Wii has been doing exceptionally well, and mm-hmm. it, part of the reason that it did so well was, was because of the, uh, the novelty, as you pointed out. It was new, it was interesting. Part of it's become it, because it is a fun new way to interact with games. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it was uh, just uh, the emphasis on, on as you kind of put it, kind of simplistic gameplay. So it, it was accessible to everybody without necessarily being too complicated. And I think that that did very well for what Nintendo wanted to do. But I think that because it sold so well, that spooked uh, Xbox and PlayStation. And so Microsoft and Sony went, maybe we should get on board on this. And that's why they've begun looking at at ways to kind of ho- hone in on Nintendo's market instead about, uh, as you put it, kind of expanding and uh, and improving upon the market they've already got. And and instead about bettering their own strengths, they're now trying to rush to catch up in, a, in an area which Nintendo found a niche and already kind of has that niche cornered. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that... I don't think it's a good move for PlayStation or for Xbox to get into serious motion control because at the moment they can't compete with the Nintendo Wii and it's going to come at the cost of them not being able to come out with another Alan Wake or another Red Dead Redemption or another Mass Effect or, or whatever that's going to be the next big And I'm, I'm sure And I'm sure they're still going to come out with those games as well, but they're backing into it, jumping on the bandwagon late, whereas Wii, was, Wii came out as this motion control, you know, this interesting new new animal um whereas they're tacking these motion controls onto on onto systems that already have other serve other purposes you know um and i, I guess it goes back to my earlier comment that you know the v- the vast majority of popular games are deep interesting you know technology pushing story driven 
or uh, or just very creative you know pieces of of software um but the we the the motion control movement is basically to me the the you know the pop the pop game right um and the the game that sort of appeals to the wi- the wider audience but the thing is there's such a large gaming audience already that it doesn't that sort of that sort of mentality the the simplistic overly accessible doesn't seem to work as well in the video game industry as it does in other in other industries just because of the way that it that it's evolved um well because everybody has different tastes and mm-hmm. whatnot i mean yeah, you, the thing you need with variety right the thing with the wii that always appealed to me was the gameplay i like the interesting gameplay that a lot of the games have like the lego games super mario galaxy mm-hmm. Uh, all examples of games that have have interesting gameplay elements, and that makes them fun for me without necessarily needing to have deep characters or a compelling plot because the gameplay is what's keeping me hooked. Whereas when I go onto an Xbox or a PlayStation game, I'm looking for something with characters and story and something that's got a little more uh, depth of, of plot and complexity to it in that sense because that's what's keeping me hooked because the gameplay itself is usually fairly simplistic mm-hmm. like i like jrpgs um not as much as i used to i've kind of grown out of that a little bit but for the most part final fantasy uh Sukaden, that kind of game fundamentally pretty simple gameplay but the story and the characters are what are going to keep me coming back to play it right and i think that's where the xbox and the playstation have their strength is because they have all these companies with all these great writers and designers and developers who are able to come out with that kind of stuff and they shouldn't be focusing on i don't want to say honing in on nintendo's niche because mm-hmm. obviously you want to compete but at the same time i think that you're you're absolutely right when you say that they're just ba- they're backing into it because they they got blindsided by it and now they're trying to make a little coin off of it well with with uh, the wii though recently the games have been better i think because uh, developers have realized that motion co- the good developers have realized that motion control alone does not make a good game um you look at red steel like i did not play red steel 2 but i did read about it and um they seem to have understood that well i guess in red steel 1 also the the controls were flawed beyond belief but still you know they they understood that they need to give a, a complete package of a game to to get people interested with with uh mario galaxy with uh most of the first party games like they're they're deep games and they're not all about the motion controls the motion control is just one part of it and i think i think that you know technology like connect is awesome it's interesting but making games that are only there to show off the technology is one thing uh taking that technology and put use making it a part of of one of these deeper interesting games that we're talking about a game like mass effect if the characters could recognize your face as they do as they apparently can do with connect you know and, and recognize your movements while you still have a controller you know doing the complex things that you need to do with a controller um while the technology still requires it um that would be interesting right just as you know when you're playing Mario Galaxy, you're not always wagging the re- the Wii remote, but when you do, it's it makes sense. Um, so I'm I'm really hoping that in the long run, that's like the the hardcore developers, the the developers that are really pushing genres forward, embrace the technology as part of of a complete package, as 
you know. So hopefully that'll happen. Here's a game that no one listening to this podcast today has ever heard of. Maybe one of you has. It's called Lifeline. Did you ever hear about Lifeline? I've never heard of it, no. It was a game for the PlayStation 2. And uh, it kind of flew under the radar, and part of it was because the, the controls were deeply flawed. But the concept was stupendous, and I earnestly wish that Xbox or PlayStation uh, would, would try this again, maybe even with Lifeline 2. The premise was the main character was a woman who was trapped on a space station with survival horror stuff going on. So there's aliens, there's, they've killed everyone in the crew, there's apocalyptic logs all over the place, and she's trying to figure out what's going on. But you're not playing as her. Hmm? You're playing as a mission control person on the Earth who is in communication with her and is kind of guiding her from, from place to place, trying to get her out of the station alive. And you communicated with her using the voice chat on your headset. Hmm. The concept of that blows my mind. I'm like, that is brilliant. That is a great idea. Apparently it was not well executed in the PlayStation 2. Um, and that was the main failing of the game was that she had a very limited understanding of what you were trying to tell her to do. And came across as basically an idiot so i i mean there's some fun there is that you could be screaming at her and try, <laughs> trying to get her to get out of a situation alive but the com the like the combat was done like you tell her where to aim on certain enemies because certain enemies had certain weaknesses and then you'd kind of guide her through puzzles to unlock doors or, or figure out how to put together a concoction stuff like that and the concept of that i think is brilliant and i think that would be an interesting uh step to, to try, and especially in a survival horror genre, that's an, a very intriguing idea to me. And I wish they'd go back and try that again. But uh, I think that part of the reason they haven't was because Lifeline did so poorly. Hmm. But the reason it did so poorly was because of the limitations of the technology. And I think the technology has gotten much better to be able to try something like that. And, I mean, that I think that as, as technology gets better and we, we uh, are in in more control over you know the the things that are happening in video games it's interesting to limit that control uh in a ho horror game like that um having that kind of detachment from actually controlling the character uh, that you fun you have to you have to guide to survival um is scary you know um and i, I think based on what we've seen from the connect i mean we haven't played it right but uh or used it at all uh it seems like that sort of that sort of thing could be done a lot better with and that's why yeah. that made that come to mind for sure so yeah there, there's some there's a lot of potential for i mean i know I, I outright said oh i hate this technology i'm scared of it blah 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 like an old man talking about you know the way things are changing when i'm used to certain ways but i just when when they come out and say, "Hey, here's a cute tiger that's actually a little scary, that you can like pretend to pat, you know, and welcome into your living room," I'm I'm, I'm I roll my eyes, you know. If they would have come out and said, "Hey, here's the potential for, you know, storytelling. Here's the potential for, you know, there's just it." It seemed like they they came out and already sort of pigeonholed the technology as a novelty when when they could have come out and said you know here's what it could do and now sex talk brought to you by the traveling tickle trunk so this is adam coming to you almost live from the 
back room of the Traveling Tickle Trunk. I'm here with Brenda Kerber, and we're going to talk about some issues in sex that have been coming up. And and one of the things that we had discussed, uh, Brenda, just as I arrived, was this notion of of pride. Uh, you know, Pride Week was at the beginning of June or middle of June or something. I can't remember because mm-hmm. the days are just blending into each other. And uh, and there are some people who have who've said. It's okay to be gay, just don't shove it in my face. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on on what that attitude is all about. Um, wow. I don't know what that attitude is all about because I don't have that attitude. But I, I think where it's coming from is that a lot of people are unsure and, and threatened by other people's activities, and so they don't know what to think about it, so it's just kind of like, get it out of my face. But what they don't understand is living in the shoes of somebody who is not in the minority. And if you live in the majority, you don't understand that you are shoving your lifestyle, your your sexual orientation in people's faces all the time. You just don't understand it because it's accepted. Yeah. Then suddenly when somebody who's not in the majority decides to do that or just does it because that's who they are, it it seems out of place or it seems like a political statement just because it's not the majority. You don't see it all the time. So, I mean, I mean, the, the the we're still having this debate around homosexuality, and I don't understand why exactly. When when we had you on the show last season, we we talked about it a little bit. But what do you think the general sentiment is? Why? Because in my opinion, the general public doesn't care if you're gay one way or another. Yeah, I think it, so it's kind of just what you are. But why haven't our politicians sort of caught up with this? Yeah. Why I think our politicians are not catching, I think they are, I think some of them are, but why um, we're still having issues around it is because there are a few people in this country, small, I think small groups, who are very, very loud, who have a very strong opinion about it, are very loud, and some of them are very, very powerful. And so they influence policies because even though maybe the majority of the country feels a particular way, one particular group who has a lot of power and a lot of influence and may actually be a part of our government Mm -hmm. gets to say what happens because they're the ones with the voice and the power even though the rest of us are saying hey wait a minute that doesn't i don't believe that that's not what i i believe in why is my country saying these kinds of things do you think the notion of political correctness sort of backs people into a corner around these debates yeah (laughs) <laughs> that was that a loaded a question. One. Yeah, notion of political correctness. I think that's unfortunately, sadly, unfortunately, I think that's why we have gay marriage in this country now, why um, so many things have been pushed to the point that they have been, because in spite of those very vocal minorities, our governments understand that there are certain things that are just not acceptable in this country anymore. And that's the only reason why we've been able to get those things, I think. Um, That's unfortunate because we have very, very vocal majorities that have pushed for equality and for gay rights and for gay marriage. But we've got such a powerful minority influence that, yeah, I think think that's where the political correctness comes in. Okay, now let's shift gears a little bit because this is very sad, the stuff we're talking about. And it doesn't have to be, be, right, but... uh, We've made great gains. Things things have happened. Things have changed. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to be living in the world we're in now. We've made tremendous progress. I still think we have a ways to go. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do, for sure. But um, we'll get there. 
Now, one of the things we discussed before we started recording was uh, this. So World Cup, that's that's kind of the big thing. And by the time people hear this show, I think it'll be over. But there was a uh, something that came down Twitter today. Uh, A Dutch porn star has said that if the Netherlands wins the World Cup, she will give every single one of her followers a blowjob. What do you think of that? Is that is that something common in that sort of segment of that industry? Yeah, it is. is. Yes. And I think people who who don't um, aren't involved in the world of porn in, in any way might find that extremely shocking. But that's her industry. That's what she does. That's what she does for a living. So I think it's mostly to get her followers and fans and get her name out there. She's going to get a lot of attention for it. Oh, for sure. And she knows that. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a suspect use of social media, but it will be effective in getting her followers for sure. It's a suspect use, is it? Mm. Yeah, so I wouldn't advise that Traveling Tickle Trunk would do any of that. No, that's not one of the services we offer, no. <laughs> <laughs> we would not be doing that, no. Now, you guys recently got onto Twitter. And and I know that you haven't had a huge chance to really try it out, but what, what's your what are your feelings and thoughts around what it could possibly do for for your store? I don't know yet. Oh, I don't know. I'm still figuring that out. Uh, I'm a bit of a luddite, <laughs> um, but most of the people that are um, come to the store and a lot of our our population are quite young and are much more advanced and as far as twitter and facebook and social media and all of that so we want to just kind of join in that conversation with them and find out you know not not push ourselves on them but just say you know what what are you guys doing here and what could we do that would be you know adding to the conversation and helping you guys out and stuff so we'll just sit around and see to see what people are doing and how we can fit in and so is there any, are there any events coming up uh, that you guys are doing that, uh, that our listeners should know about? Um, we kind of gear down for the summer a little bit, but we do have some workshops that are going on. We do, you know, speaking of blowjobs, <laughs> we don't do that, but we do teach, teach people how to do that. So <laughs> we have a workshop called Penis Pleasers. So we're doing, that's been really popular. So we're doing another one of those in July. We'll probably do another one in August. We have a couple of workshops coming up. Um, we're doing one on rope bondage at the end of August. Cool. Those are always really, really popular. We have a lot of people in Edmonton that are big into rope, so that's fun. We get our <laughs> rope communities out and hog tie each other on the floor. It's big fun. So that's coming up the end of August. So you can find us online at travelingtickletrunk.com or follow us on Twitter at travtickletrunk. Thanks, Brenda. This has been Sex Talk with the Traveling Tickle Trunk. <laughs> It's the League of Extraordinary Media, TheEdmontonian.com, TrueBrittle.com, The Unknown Studio, User-Created Content. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a guarantee of quality Edmonton-based online content. If you're interested in joining or would like more information, visit LeagueOfExtraordinaryMedia.com. No censors. It's Adam Rosenhart, Unleashed. In a recent Globe and Mail editorial, columnist Christy Blatchford had some lovely things to say about bloggers and citizen journalists. She said, first, journalism is not merely a collective of the self-anointed. But she goes on to point out that although 
journalism isn't a regulated profession, and I think this is important, that it doesn't mean that people who have cameras, video cameras, blogs, or whatever are naturally considered journalists. And I don't disagree with Blatchford, but we'll get into that in a moment. She then goes on to say that we in the mainstream media make plenty of mistakes and bad calls, even given the safeguards. And some of the safeguards that she points out are layers of editors, sets of eyes reading their copy, lawyers, and in some instances, establish standards better in place. If you look on the Unknown Studios website, you'll see a link to this story. I'd love to hear your comments. My problem is that journalists, generally speaking, you know, a lot of them don't care or, or don't agree. But generally speaking, it seems as though this has been coming up for years and years. And I think part of the problem is that journalists do genuinely feel that they're profession is threatened. Not, they don't feel threatened by individual bloggers necessarily, but they do feel that the journalistic profession will see some kind of quality dilution as a result of bloggers and citizen journalists. Now, I would argue that happens anyway. And the reason for that is tabloid journalism. There are people out there who claim to be journalists who give journalism a bad name, naturally. And they're not necessarily bloggers. They're not necessarily the self-anointed citizen journalists. But that doesn't even matter because what I, the problem that I have is that bloggers give a shit about this. Who cares? You are a blogger. You're not a journalist unless you actually went to J school or you work in mainstream, let's call it traditional media. You're not a, you're not a journalist. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think we have to take back the word blogger because it's not crass or derogatory. It doesn't matter anymore. People derive value from journalists and bloggers and graffiti artists and whomever that they believe that they trust. And I think that there are a lot of bloggers out there in Edmonton, in Calgary, in Toronto, all over Canada that people can trust that people look to to get information and insight. And I think I agree with a post that appeared on TechCrunch last week that said, I want more opinion in my news, not less. I fully agree with that. Because I think that the general population is well-equipped to be able to filter through the bullshit and the bias. And this no notion of objective journalism is absolute fucking garbage. And I'm tired of hearing it. I don't believe... In objective journalism, I believe in balance, but I don't believe in artificial balance. You know, talking to, uh, doing a story, and this is a bit of a straw man argument, I will admit that, but I'm just trying to illustrate a point. Doing a story on, say, someone's store being vandalized, and talking to the store owner, and then talking to some other person who loves vandalism just to give the story balance is patently absurd. Okay? If we're talking about hate speech and we have someone speaking in favor of hate speech i think that most people see through that artificial balance let's stop creating artificial balance in journalism let's give a little bit more credit to the reader because i think that the reader deserves it i think that nowadays too often journalists walk around high and mighty thinking that the reader doesn't actually get it that they really do need all that stuff spelled out for them and i agree there is a lot of garbage out there but let's accept the fact that we have a population of people savvy enough to be able to filter through the crap and see the forest for the trees. I'm tired of the debate about the value of bloggers versus journalists. And as a blogger, 
as a podcaster, as a former journalist, I don't think the delineation is relevant. I think it's okay to be a blogger. So I'm. this is a call to arms. This is a call to arms. For bloggers out there who call themselves citizen journalists, you're well within your right to do so, but don't shy away from the label blogger. There's definite value there. There's value in what you do. And if you have an audience that trusts you and you're accountable to that audience and you're doing good work, then it doesn't matter what Christy Blatchford of the Globe and Mail says. She's certainly entitled to her opinion, but I strongly disagree with it as a professional blogger. Thanks for listening. I'd like to take a moment to uh, put a shout-out to a few sponsors that we have for the show. Uh, You've already heard a couple spots for them, but uh, we'll start right at the top. Uh, We have, for several months now, been getting some shout-outs from our dear friends over at the Edmonton Journal. Ben, of course, is from the Edmonton Journal. We've had previous guests from the Edmonton Journal and Karen Unland as well. Uh, We like them, and apparently they like us. And uh, we like it that way. So... uh, as Adam would say it, thank you to the ink-stained wretches over at the Edmonton Journal for their <laughs> continued support uh, to the Unknown Studio. Uh, we also would like to uh, say a great thank you to Guru Digital Arts College. Uh, it's a really awesome place. I had the opportunity to go down just this past week uh, and check out their offices. It is really awesome. It's like an art studio in there. Not what you would expect a technical college to be like, but it is like like an art loft. Really cool people there. Uh, a great place to go if you're looking to get into the digital arts and uh, you're looking to kind of expand your education in that direction. Seek them out, Guru Digital Arts College. We are really grateful for their support and absolutely recommend that you go and check them out. And uh, last but not least, you've heard from her earlier in this episode, Brenda Kerber uh, with the Traveling Tickle Trunk, uh, Edmonton's awesome, homegrown, sex-positive sex shop. Uh, she's really awesome and, uh, we're very grateful that she's decided to come on board as a sponsor as well. And, uh, we're very happy to send shout outs to her. So, uh, if you're looking for a place to go to learn more about sexuality or to, uh, find some interesting, fun things to, uh, do with your partner, check out the Traveling Tickle Trunk. So it's traveling? Uh, well, they do, uh, confuses me. (laughs) They, they have a storefront, but they do, uh, you know how there's Tupperware parties? Mm-hmm. There's sex toy parties. Ah, yes. And yes. Uh, they do those, so that hence the traveling tickle trunk. Interesting. So, there you go. Uh, so you should check them out as well. Um, I don't have a website off the top of my head, but uh, we'll have a link to them on our website, so check that out. Now, you refer to yourself as an old man <laughs> when it comes to video gaming, uh, who's uh, deeply set in his ways. And uh, I know for a fact that uh, that you're a big fan of. Uh, you even mentioned earlier, in fact, that you're you're a big fan of like some of the older school games. I collect big, them actually. A big nostalgia gamer, basically. Yeah. What are you? What do you think are like the great classics of video games? If you could go back and say this was the golden era, what would you say? The Super Nintendo, I think, is the. I, I mean, uh, this a lot of it is nostalgia. Um, but I love that system, and the reason the system was so great is because they had so many great 
games, games that controlled perfectly, that were challenging. Um, because of the technology, they st a lot of them started to tell interesting stories, um, and there was a lot of variety, and variety is key. Um, too much of one kind of game on a system, and you know, you're going to limit your audience. With the Super Nintendo, there were so many different kinds of games, all of which, I mean, so many of which were of, of high quality that there was just there was something for everybody and for a person who likes a lot of different kinds of games and I fall into that category I, I like pretty much every kind of game out there save most fighters even there's even a few fighters I really like um, it was just the perfect system and remains the perfect system and I I I collect games uh, vintage games and um, my focus has been on the Super Nintendo and the library so I would agree with you I will go on record saying that I also am a huge fan of the Super Nintendo. I did not have a huge library of Super Nintendo games, but I rented the hell <laughs> out of Super Nintendo <laughs> games too. when I was young. And so I played a great number of them. And I agree, the, the library was very deep for the Super Nintendo. Way, way deeper than it was for the Sega Genesis. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sega CD, there was like eight oh. games for. I, w I would argue that there is no system that has a deeper library. Um than that system does even um, today even today agreed and uh I, I think the original playstation might come close yes but, but i think that the super nintendo definitely wins and the thing about the playstation is there's a lot of games where in retrospect i mean at first they were great they were great at the time but you go back and they're not nearly as fun to play as they were uh whereas because the the super nintendo was kind of the end of the the it it had all of the best. It was it was it was kind of the pinnacle of that of the cartridge of era. the cartridge era. I mean, N sixty four. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there were a few good kind games. Of forgettable. Yeah, there's a few great games on that system, but um, they were really pushing the three D. So let's go two D. You know, the Super Nintendo was the best two D had to offer, and um, the PlayStation was this new three D really coming into its own. And so a lot of the graphics were really hard, are, are in retrospect really hard to see and, and navigate with and, I and stare at and make your eyes bleed a little bit. I remember enjoying Final Fantasy VII when it came out. And uh, I've since gone back and played it, and it looks like shit. Mm -hmm. it, is <laughs> not, it is not a pretty game to look at. It's bland. The characters all look really crude. And I remember at the time that I was really blown away by the by the quality of the of the visuals, and just in retrospect, it did not age well. And with uh, with you know 2D gaming and the Super Nintendo, it's it you go back and you play Final Fantasy three, you know, slash six, um, the best Final Fantasy game. I would actually argue seven's better. I firmly put my foot down. Final Fantasy six, hmm. the best Final Fantasy game. Bar none. I've had arguments with people, <laughs> and I'm I'm willing to say that it is subjective, and that there are people who prefer seven. There are people who prefer uh, four, uh, which was Final Fantasy two when it was released in uh, in North America, uh, and they have perfectly reasonable reasons to to state that's the best one. But for me, Final Fantasy six was the best Final Fantasy, and it's all been just downhill from there. Why? Why is that the best one? I mean, it has the best story and the best characters, mm. bar none. Seven, seven. The the story fell flat, and there were too many plot holes for me. 
uh, for me to really enjoy it. Mm. And uh, eight was abysmal. The gameplay was bad, and the story was ridiculously terrible. <laughs> Nine was a step back up, in my opinion. They went back to not worrying so much about... Because with eight, it felt to me they were worrying more about the uh, the visual aspect of it and less about the story. Uh, nine, they took a step back and went, you know what? Let's focus again on the story. Because eight, I, I think they all knew eight didn't do as well. So they went back to kind of like the... Uh, the uh, the same kind of character style from the original Final Fantasies. They went back to the same kind of uh, story that they were putting together with that. And I thought 9 was really good. And I know I'm kind of strangely in the minority there, but I thought Final Fantasy 9 was really quite good. 10 was very linear. The characters were okay. The story was meh. 10-2, X-2, which Brittany LeBlanc, our guest last episode, was talking about is one of her favorite games was fun but who cares kind of fun and 11 really just shouldn't have been 11 because it was online 12 turned me off of final fantasy actually 10 turned me off fair mm. enough 10 10 was certainly on the verge of i i was like i'll give it one more try i didn't even look at 11 i didn't think final fantasy online should have been called final fantasy 11 personally and i think final fantasy tactics should have been final <laughs> fantasy 8 so a great game but um but that th- this is the thing right i mean we grew up with these with this this series and the it changes but because we've played the past ones we expect the same sort of feeling and you know the same kind of themes and everything that we got from the past ones and after a while it's just dull yeah. over again and then, you know no matter how good it is the best of, the best of it's in the past and so you got to move on right uh kill the series make a different game you know don't call it final fantasy and you know what frankly a lot of final fantasy games if you called them something else uh they i think and and they were their own well, animals i mean chrono trigger is my favorite super nintendo game chrono trigger is definitely my also probably RPG. my favorite rpg and super nintendo game yeah. but an excellent an excellent example uh because it did well because it it wasn't a final fantasy it but it's did made well by the same people because it was made by the same people and yeah. people even in North America where SquareSoft wasn't necessarily as big went hey, these are the same guys who made Secret of Mana these mm-hmm. are the same guys who made Final Fantasy this is going to be a good game and it was and i think that i personally fully agree that SquareSoft has kind of come to the point where they're really only making Kingdom Hearts and Final mm-hmm. Fantasy and they really could do more because they've got the name recognition and people will go out and buy a square game because it's a square game this is true um to go back a little bit i i just i want to bring up something that i i wanted to get into on the blog but i couldn't figure out how to do it uh and that is super nintendo and and nintendo uh the actual systems and i'm not talking virtual console although that's neat and cool (laughs) um but getting the actual systems and the old games uh, has a very sort of hands-on appeal that I, I love. It's why I collect them. I'm, I mean, I, I have I have 50 or so Super Nintendo games now. Um, I just I, uh, but the funny thing that I've noticed lately is that a lot of hipsters are getting old systems, specifically Nintendo and Super Nintendo systems, and making them these kind of centerpieces of their living room television experience 
Um, and I'm not sure exactly why this is this has become ho- popular in sort of you know indie indie circles. Kind of like a retro gaming chic going on. Right yeah, now? yeah, and I'm you know part of it. I mean that in part I think. I I just I don't get it. I I get it and I don't get it at the same time. It's very it's just something I noticed. Like I was at Sled Island and I went to a house party and um there's a there's a there's a Nintendo just in the corner, you know. I <laughs> I still have my Super Nintendo. I don't even have it plugged in at the moment. Actually. You should plug it in. It's a I good should. time. And I usually do. Like once a year, I'll dust it off, plug it in, and just like play Super Mario World through or something, mm-hmm. because. I still really enjoy a lot of the games that I still have for it. And I, I don't have 50 games for my Super yeah, Nintendo. I, but. I feel like I'm bragging there, but I have, yeah. <laughs> I have, and Anita I, still has her Nintendo. Addicted, so. Granted, it doesn't work without the Game Genie. Mm. Like, literally, it just it does not work without the Game Genie in it. But uh, she still has her Nintendo, and she still has some decent games for her Nintendo system. So Here's the thing about Edmonton. For some reason, Edmonton has an abundance of... Options for vintage game shopping. Um, there are multiple stores in this city and multiple places where you can buy old systems and old games. Um, and it's great. It's just great. You know, uh, everything, like the next wave chain of, of, of stores, I, I, I go to them. I, I go to pawn shops. I go to flea markets, uh, garage sales. Lots of garage sales in this city this time of year, you know, and lots of lots of great, interesting old games to buy. Um, and so, to go back to your earlier question about Super Nintendo games that are kind of must-haves, I think there are two there are two lists to build there. One is kind of the obvious essentials, and those are the Mario games, you know, uh, those are the RPGs that you mentioned, like Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy III. It's called for Super Nintendo, although it was the sixth, um, and Final Fantasy 2 as well. Uh, and those are kind of, you know, some of the obvious ones. Uh, Super Metroid. It's oh, an amazing game. Absolutely. Um, these are games that a lot of people had growing up. Uh, and they were just the the replay, the Zelda games, of course, too. You know, just like endless replay value, depth, fun. Uh, but then the other nice thing about the Super Nintendo is there's this whole back catalog of lesser known games that are also endlessly fun and interesting and and in some cases completely unique so i mean i'm a big tetris attack fan uh that that is a puzzle game that has had reboots afterwards you know tacking on pokemon um it's actually a game called puzzle league originally but it's it's i think it's the best puzzle game ever like i love it um there's a game i have called aerobiz supersonic I don't know. Have you ever played that game? I'm familiar with Aerobiz. I rented yeah. that game like eight times. That is a very fun game. You get to create an airline, and it's like a airline business simulator. And as I recall, <laughs> was uh, was quite good actually. Like uh, intuitive enough that you didn't need to be an actual airport manager to figure out what was going on, but with enough depth that you could still come up with strategies and and fiddle around with your business and and manage your your airways and and it was a lot of fun and you get to name your own your own airline you get to pick which planes you fly um and you have to budget it Ooh, budgeting's fun in games isn't it um and you get to pick where you fly to and fly out of and it's just it was an early game that really gave you a lot of license to to be creative and make your own decisions ogre battle ogre battle is one i've never played ogre battle was uh but for you was uh it was different. 
it uh, because uh, and you you brought up kind of the morality thing. It was one of the first games that I remember playing where your actions in game really had an impact upon how the end game played out. And basically the premise of the game is there's this evil empire that controls the land and you you're a plucky young guy and you're like no, I'm done with that and you raise up an army and you rebel basically and you're going to bring down the evil empire and you know bring freedom back to the people but depending on your actions and choices throughout the game depends on whether or not you're going to end up uh toppling the empire and bringing freedom and and happiness to the people of the kingdom or if you're just knocking them down to set up your own evil regime who's going to be just as bad or worse Hmm. have you played un squadron no that is one of the best games on the super nintendo and it is a uh shoot 'em up uh side scrolling shoot 'em up RPG. Okay. And I, I say RPG because there are characters and there are power-ups um, to such an insane degree that you really feel um, like you're you're taking you're like you're, you're on a journey even though it follows the straightforward, you know, fly from left to right and shoot everything that comes at you. Uh, and it's just extremely challenging, extremely fun. The graphics are amazing. The music's amazing. There's a lot of depth to it, a lot of levels. Uh, you get to customize your ships and, and or your uh, your planes. It's very fun. Um, and I would especially recommend it for people who don't play a lot of those games. It's kind of the, the best one to play. Um, another one, have you played ActRaiser? Yes. ActRaiser was a good one. Not enough people have played ActRaiser. I'm surprised. You know? It was um, a strange hybrid of side-scrolling, uh, of, of side-scrolling like hack and slash, with like SimCity. Mm-hmm. Would and be the best way to describe it. And taking care of taking care of, uh, an, you know, a magically oppressed people, <laughs> uh, whom look up to you as their god. Yes, basically. you are a god. Yeah, and then you are a Viking guy that swings a big sword and kills monsters the music was quite good in act razor too as i recall yes yes actually amazing music uh Um, evo evo is another one that uh, i have heard great things about that i haven't played i rented that one quite a bit as well and uh, it's disappointing i never bought it Mm -hmm. you start out the game as a little fishy fish in the ocean and uh basically you are charged by the spirit of the earth to uh make it to the modern era basically from back when Pangea was still a continent. Hmm. You do so by, uh, I suppose, kind of survival of the fittest. You eat other creatures, and uh, in doing so, you get evolution points, and then you can spend those evolution points on improving your fishy fish uh, into into a, a better, sleeker killing machine, I guess would be the best way to put it, because obviously you have to be fairly aggressive in order to succeed and uh, can eventually get up to the, the point where you're on land. Then you move up to the point where you can eventually, if you want, evolve into man and then play out the rest of the, the, the last portion of the game as, as a human using tools. Is it fun? Yes. Hmm. Arguably more fun if you don't, uh, if you don't evolve into a man and finish <laughs> the game as a, as a horrible dinosaur mishmash, but uh, surprisingly fun game. Zombies Ate My Neighbors? Uh, I remember zombie. I must have played that game only once, but I remember it being fun. Yeah, very fun, very hard, um, but good because it was multiplayer in the traditional sense, where you have a friend on the couch with you, and uh, eating cheesies or whatever, and, and playing playing this game, and very very hard, very challenging. Um, but I don't remember making it very far in Zombies yeah. Ate My Neighbors. But uh, a very good time. 
Earthbound. Earthbound is kind of the obvious. Um, it, it's the one you point to in terms of underrated games. Uh, it was definitely one that uh, didn't see enough play yeah, when and it came out. Nobody bought it, and that meant that nobody, that, that any sort of other Earthbounds we, we never saw. Which is a shame because um, apparently the series is really big in Japan and really yeah. good in Japan. But here's the thing about Earthbound is it's a great RPG, um, but it's funny. And it's, dark. It's dark and funny, and it's not funny in uh, in expected ways. You know, it, it's very quirky. It's very surreal and absurdist and, as you say, dark, um, especially, and it's surprising considering how kind of cartoony it looks but it's just a it's a great game um it it's really fun and i people bashed it because i don't think they were ready for it um and plus it came in a really weird giant box which is very hard to find and is one of the most prized and uh, actually expensive games to buy now uh, uh, chrono trigger is surprisingly expensive to buy now yes which i would put on the a list of games you should buy not even the b list no it's like uh, if, if you can find it but it's going to cost you over a hundred dollars i still have my cartridge so uh you could get it for 70 if you're if you're willing if to you're hunt, frugal though. if you're willing to hunt you can get chrono trigger for 70 and um that's the other fun thing is you know i'm looking for these games um it's it's a it's a blast to go you know, digging through garage sales to find these hidden gems. And um, so Super Nintendo has a lot of hidden gems. Uh, Earthbound is perhaps obvious, just as Zombies Ate My Neighbors is obvious. Evo's not. You know, uh, UN Squadron is is one of those, has achieved cult status. But there are different games for different interests. Uh, One like Royal Rumble for the Super Nintendo. Royal Rumble? Royal, Royal Rumble. Um... I knew that uh, I I always heard what was it No Mercy for the N sixty four was nah. what I was told was <laughs> the best wrestling game that ever came out uh, by a lot of my friends who still play it to this day and still measure all of the wrestling games by it and say it has not been beat and see there are two schools of thought for the N sixty four wrestling games in that I don't know I just preferred during that era the WCW to the WWF and so. And uh, WCW NWO Revenge for me is the best wrestling game. Fair enough. Um, but Royal Rumble for the Super Nintendo is very simplistic. It's not the best control scheme, but it's really, really fun to play with more than one person. Um, and you have all the classic characters and awful 16-bit. M- versions of their their entry songs um you know people like mr perfect and tatanka and just you know it's just a really fun game to play for 20 minutes sometime and i I, and it's really cheap too that's the thing there's some games that you that go for for you know pennies now um that you'll get endless enjoyment out of nhl 95 for the super nintendo i think is better than any nhl game out there you know, um, and you know what? You can make all of the current rosters. So why, why, uh, why buy a new one every year when that one controls better, and and has the retro kind of appeal to it? So I think it's time now to pull out Adam's favorite segment of the show, the Fast Fifteen.
pretty fast. Pretty fast. As fast as you can answer the questions. Okay. Uh, so the Fast 15 with Ben Jelena. Are you ready for the Fast 15? I am. My friends and I used to play a game where we'd have to do word associations. There so you go. This I'll... is kind of like that. Okay. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one. Favorite food? Craft dinner. Favorite color? I don't have a favorite color. You don't have a favorite color? I don't. I don't uh, discriminate. Fair enough. Uh, Mac, PC, or Linux? Mac. Dogs or cats? Dogs, but don't tell my cat. Coffee or tea? Many, many coffees. Favorite Please. holiday? Um, favorite holiday? I would have to go with Christmas because my birthday is two days before Christmas and my parents were divorced and I have no siblings, so... Aha! Spoiled rotten. There you go. <laughs> and there is a reason why Christmas is his favorite then. Yes. Favorite sport? Hockey. Okay. Favorite pastime? Video games. It seems pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, favorite music that you're listening to right now? Right now? Le Savi Fave. I'm not familiar with them. They are a indie rock band. They have a new album coming out in like a couple months, and I saw them at Sled Island in Calgary last weekend. The lead singer, I'll be really quick because I know this is Fast 15. Lead singer comes on stage. He's wearing uh, pantyhose over his face and sunglasses and a cummerbund. He gets almost naked. He's really fat. He looks like Zach Galifianakis but bald. He jumps into the crowd, does a handstand that people prop him up to help him do because he's very fat. He walks to the back of the stage all while singing. He finds a potted palm tree. He brings it up on stage, sings a song to it, then sends it crowd surfing. Then he went to the back, got some cucumber slices and cauliflower and fed them to the audience with his mouth. They're a good band musically, too. <laughs> and apparently put on a hell of a stage You show, should see so them live. You, you need to see them live. All right. Uh, your favorite movie? Favorite movie? The Graduate. There you go. Perfect comedy. Uh, and you're probably the person who's answered that question the fastest in the entire history of this. Really? Most people have to hum and haw over oh, favorite it's a good movie. movie. You should see that movie. This one might make you hum and haw. Favorite video game? Favorite video game of all time? does not make me hum and haw at all. It's uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Uh, Anita, Anita would be very happy with you for answering with that. Yeah. Uh, oh, Civilization 2. Or Civilization 2. Fair enough. Kate, <laughs> uh, number 12. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, I think it would be the power to be able to not sleep for a while if I felt like it. <laughs> so you could play more video games. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Or do more work. Yeah, work. yeah, I'm a workaholic too, so. That, um, that would help. It just sucks to get tired, you know? Fair enough. <laughs> All right, number 13, Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh, easy. Star Wars. Okay. Number 14, first wild card question. Okay. What is the one game coming out in the next year you're most excited for? Oh, Metroid Other M. Metroid Other M? Yeah. That's the new side-scrolling one, right? Uh, No, it's 3D. Oh, it's third-person 3D. Ah, that, I think that's why it was different, because the most recent ones have all been first-person. Yeah. Number 15, final question, last wild card. If you could have one arcade cabinet game in your house. Miss Pac-Man. Miss Pac-Man. Miss Pac-Man. Wow, I didn't even, I didn't even finish the you question. Don't, you don't need you already to already yeah. had Miss Pac-Man oh. ready to go. Why? Um, every time I go to a place that has a Miss Pac-Man cabinet, I have to play it. Uh, it is a... I guess a quirk of mine. <laughs> I just I I'm compelled to. I I I love it. It's it's insanely fun and challenging. And there's no there's no more there's no better game. Fair enough. The arcade. There you I, go. I would I would play it 
I would get a tabletop actually and, and put like a, co- a tablecloth over it when company went to visit, came to visit. There you go. Kitchen table. The Fast 15 with Ben Jelena. All right. Well, um, thanks for coming on the show. It's a shame Adam couldn't join it's us. true. He will kick himself that he missed a great conversation on video games. Adam? And he will demand that you come back on the show so that he has a chance to talk to you. And I think <laughs> that's a great idea. We covered a lot. There's tons more to talk about because video games really are a huge and deep topic to talk about. So we'll definitely have you back on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I mean, the thing is that, and I'm going to be pretty transparent here, but um, I have the blog on the website, which is weird to write about the things that we write about on a, on mainstream, on a mainstream newspaper website. Uh, and I encourage anybody who he- hears this and, and is interested in games to, to go on the blog and, and argue with us. Because that is a big part of it. Is we want to we want to get a, a dialogue going about about video games, about the hobby, about the industry, about the culture, from many different perspectives to kind of make it as important as it is, you know. And what's the URL to get to that uh, just, blog? Just go to EdmontonJournal.com and uh, scroll down and um, to the blog section, and, and it's called Button Mash. Um, or you can throw like a slash blogs onto the EdmontonJournal.com and look for the the awful photoshop i did of of my face with uh video game screens in my glasses so yeah <laughs> right on well thanks once again for being on the show today well thanks for having me uh adam will be back next episode uh and depending on when that episode is done i might not be uh i am much like adam is on vacation right now i'm going on vacation shortly as well uh so I will basically be switching places with Adam for this episode. I will have pre-recorded some stuff ahead of time that will be put in the show, but uh, Adam will be basically handling the uh, uh, the main interview segment of the show by himself, which is unusual. Again, we're just kind of experimenting with this solo show thing. Don't expect it to last because we like each other and we like having someone to riff with on the show. You should really be bringing in, like, you know, guest co-hosts. We, uh... Actually, point of fact, we had talked about bringing in a guest co-host for this episode, uh, but it just didn't come together in time. Hmm. So uh, that's why I'm kind of flying solo. But I think I did pretty good. Let us know what you think. Did I do good on this show by myself? Should I just cut Adam as dead weight? Is he dragging me down? I think that's a good (laughs) question. I think that's a question that you should answer on the website. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 28. Our guest, Ben Jelena, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. games they're just not that challenging anymore they just hand i believe that the term is called nintendo hard
Because yeah. Nintendo had hard games. Mm-hmm. They were challenging games that you could either never beat without literally cheating, like Contra. The original yes. Contra, there was a reason that Contra code was there, because without it, you would never beat that game, ever. No one would have ever seen the end of that game. This is true, and, and that's part of the, like, going back to the old games, it's like drinking older scotch, you know? It'll, it'll hit you hard. It's just that much better. I earnestly think that there are people <laughs> nowadays who grew up playing video games, like, who were born in, like, the 90s who grew up playing video games, who would not be able to go back and play, like, Mega Man 3 and be able to beat it. Mega Man 2. That's one of my proudest achievements as a kid, beating Mega Man 2. There you go. Um, without reading anything about the order, because you have to defeat the guys and the bad guys in a certain order. Something about the old games, you know, you, they, put, they put hair on your chest. Uh, they certainly <laughs> turned you from a boy into a man. Yes. 